so-called People's Convoy continues to roll toward the area of the nation's capital, at upward of 100 trucks as of yesterday, for sure, with multiple hundreds more personal vehicles following today on a route to Ohio before a final trip into the D.C. area planned for Saturday, March 5th. The convoy, as we've noted at Overdrive, has a stated aim of ending the national emergency footing on which the U.S. government has found itself these last two years as it relates to COVID. Those kinds of emergency declarations bring with them new discretionary funding opportunities for federal agencies to direct to states. The ability to pose, impose restrictions in some instances in the U.S. that's primarily been seen at the local and state levels when it comes to restrictions on travel and gatherings, particularly early on in the pandemic, but continuing in some measures in some locales today. At the federal level, we've got the cross-border vaccination requirement for non-U.S. citizens coming in and as everybody knows, Canada has imposed that measure for border crossings on U.S. haulers as well. Yet, there's more that can come along with an emergency declaration. We see it routinely in the event of a hurricane or other weather-related disaster for relief haulers. I'm talking about regulatory flexibility. Supply chain challenges that have continued to shift and in some cases intensify since the beginning of the pandemic prompted the FMCSA to waive certain parts of the hours of service for haulers, of a big list of commodities that were being moved in direct assistance efforts, including emergency restocking of items as uncommon as emergency medical treatments or as common as basic groceries. With that waiver's extension earlier this week, I thought to query the Trucker Nation Group's regulatory affairs lead, Andrea Marks, about progress on her organization's data collection effort around the use of the COVID-19 hours of service waiver. That collection effort is aimed at providing a base from which to study its connection to safety. That is, what's the safety record? What's the crash record say about all manner of haulers who've effectively been quote-unquote self-regulating low these two years? The end result might go some way toward further enhancing hours of service flexibility, a subject we take up again in more detail in today's podcast. I'm Todd Dills, and since Overdrive Radio listeners last heard from Andrea Marks, she has left her former position with USDA to focus solely on this effort and her family's two trucking businesses. The two-truck outfit of her father and mother and the one-truck business piloted by her husband. First Burger Livestock is my um, husband's company, and okay. my, parents, um, my parents' trucking company is Marks Land and Livestock. And it's all family. I have the three worst employees on planet Earth, my dad and my brother. I would never give them a good reference, and I'd never hire them again. How's business these days for the livestock haulers, I asked. Part of Mark's answer hinges directly on the existence of the COVID-19 emergency hours waivers application to livestock hauling. In some cases, I've started to hear from folks who who note that uh, the rates are, uh, are up historically higher than they've they sort of ever or been in recent memory, um, things are starting to slip a little bit um, because of uh, all the cost increases. What are you guys seeing? I think my husband said it best the other day, um, especially, uh, and we only um, we only can speak from the livestock perspective, but right, right. Uh, we have never um, we've never been afforded the opportunity to move as freely as we uh, can right now and um, while things are expensive you know fuel is certainly um, a major factor right now um, we have never um, 
we've never been bringing in the type of money um, that we're bringing in right now. You know, rates are we rates are higher than <laughs> we've seen them like ever. <laughs> but are you in the position where you're um, where you re where you sort of negotiate long term contracts with like a fuel surcharge on top of that, or, or are you? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, and we play the spot market too. Like you we have too. the best of both worlds. So we don't 100% rely on long-term contracts. Um, when, uh, you know, something good in the spot market comes up, we can certainly, um, we can certainly play that as well. Things are, are very good right now. Um, right. Can't complain. Can't complain right. at all. After a quick break, we'll dive into how the Trucker Nation-led data collection is going. You can find it via fmcsareporting.com. We'll also get Mark's thoughts on just how long she expects the COVID hours waiver to remain in place. Given from the highest levels of government, there have certainly been moves toward a non-emergency footing related to COVID of late, no doubt. The convoy, too, hopes that emergency footing is abandoned altogether. We'll pick back up with Mark's right after this message from Overdrive Radio's sponsor. FirstGuard provides commercial truck insurance to leased owner operators done right. As we've done for more than 80 years, we provide physical damage and non-trucking. Many companies make you pay up to six months of insurance premiums up front, but not FirstGuard. We bill monthly, so you get quality insurance without needing to pay a lot of cash up front. Go to FirstGuard.com. That's 1-S-T-Guard.com. FirstGuard. We speak trucker. Let's talk. Still um, gathering uh, usage, monthly usage data, and this is in addition to um, the question mark required data that FMCSA question mark requires. Right, because, right, right. Again, we talked about that on here for sure. Yeah. Still doesn't say much, and even in your all questioning, they still say it's for information purposes only. So. Um, it is in addition to that, um, it somewhat mirrors, uh, somewhat mirrors, it actually goes above and beyond the questioning that FMCSA question mark requires, um, ask, if you will, <laughs> um, where I find our, um, reporting superior is, one, it has a goal. FMCSA has not um, has not published, made um, made it public, or even indicated that they have a goal for this information gathering. We've made it very clear um, what we're doing um, in in gathering the data. Um, and what that two, is is. Um, to have um, a more a broader impact on hours of service. There is a counter on our um, on our website that counts the number of days that drivers have been safely self-regulating. And um, it's a subset you know, of drivers that are out there anyway. The, the subset of drivers that are using this, yes. 
and um, that can't go unnoticed. That can't go unrecognized. We're we would be doing ourselves a severe injustice, disservice, if you will, if we are not doing something with this opportunity. So um, I think it was 716 days, if I remember. That might have been yesterday's number. But um, at the end of May 31st. The current expiration date for the latest extension of the COVID-related hours of service waiver. On that day. I believe it'll be at what 800 809 days or something crazy like that over 800 days we one have a defined goal um and two the reporting that um that we asked folks to do goes above and beyond the questions that fmcsa is asking so if this is about safety you know which is what you know, SMCSA is supposed to be about some a flaw, a hole that I found in their line of questioning was they weren't asking if um, if those drivers that were using the emergency declaration were involved in an accident during the reporting month. So we're asking for that. Not that they couldn't find that through you know SMS data, but just saying. Um, so we're asking for that uh, to, you know, be reported. We're not turning the data over to um, to DOT. Uh, the goal is that at the end of this, uh, whatever data we have, that we would like to give this data to someone third party, not myself, that can analyze it um, unbiasedly and um, give us some sort of uh, some sort of readout um, to justify uh, having a um, um, major impact and potentially invalidating hours of service. And I I would really like to penetrate the invalidation of hours of service based on the fact that we now have more robust training regulations and we can prove that a subset of drivers have safely self-regulated without hours of service. So as we, as time has gone on, um, the story continues to build, the plot thickens, if you will. When you say invalidate um, hours of service, it sounds uh, it sounds somewhat extreme um, uh, to, my, to my ears, simply because one thinks of, um, of some of the I mean, there's many reasons that the hours of service exist. One of which happens to one of which is, you know, to uh, protect uh, the driver from a from an abusive company, right? Um, yeah, but that's why we have coercion regulations that are right. wickedly, wickedly underutilized and right. under enforced. Why aren't we spending time, money, and 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 resources on enforcing that? And pr- promoting Rather the fact than... that it exists is, is another problem with that, I believe. Uh, right. Regular readers will remember we did a deep dive into the so-called coercion rule regulations near the end of 2019, just shy of four years into its existence. It came about in tandem with the FMCSA's electronic logging device mandate, and it prohibits driver coercion to violate a safety regulation by a carrier, broker, or shipper. Enforced in FMCSA investigations, 
It leans heavily on driver reporting of violations, sometimes tricky to fundamentally prove. At that time, we found just four instances of violation of the actual coercion regulation in carrier audits, among the thousands done over that time period. Search cracks in the system at overdriveonline.com to find that series of reports. Like the infrastructure for enforcing the problems in the in the industry is there, but we're focusing on the low-hanging fruit. That's what bothers me. Like we're yeah. focusing on the symptoms and not the root cause of the problem. The way the enforcement of the coercion rule happens is that it requires, uh, it's complicated uh, for sure. Very. And, and requires, uh, requires a lot of persistence on the part of uh, the, the party being coerced. Whereas if you've got a, you got a maximum drive time limit uh, that everybody has to, to comply with um, and it's being routinely enforced at the roadside, it's kind of like, you know, that, that's, a, that's an easier way out for, uh, an easier way uh, around, uh, uh, you know, the problem of coercion sort of um, than yeah. enforcing that coercion rule itself. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, I get you. I get your point. You know, it, the data that you guys are collecting could potentially. I mean, you know, it, it could lead down the road toward uh, significant more flexibility. Um, you know, just a, another tool for advocates that that are looking for for that you know, flexibility within the hours of service and and, and you know more sure. more time uh, where it's where it makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, you shoot for the star or shoot for the stars and hopefully of catching the moon. You know, I want to be realistic here, but hashtag marketing. When Marks and Trucker Nation went forward with the data collection effort, they prominently used the hashtag invalidate HOS with their marketing announcements. I'd asked Marks at the time whether that might have an effect on biasing the results by encouraging only those who have a quote unquote good story to tell to participate that has not um, left my mind since you said it. I was blind to it until you brought it up. Um, and you'll notice I quit using the hashtag. If folks haven't heard about this, and I'm sure that there are people in our audience that, that haven't, I mean, we've written about it for sure, but it's been a while now. And, and I know this has been ongoing for quite a number of months at this point um, uh-huh. in terms of your uh, Trucker Nation independent data collection effort that you're doing around use of that COVID waiver. Um, it, where do folks go um, to take part in that? And what exactly is required of them? Um, if we can reiterate that. Yeah. So um, it's been going on since December, 2021. Um, so we're going on to, we're going into the fourth uh, full month now. Um, they simply go to fmcsareporting.com. Another benefit to our uh, reporting mechanism is there's no uh, logging into anything. There's no password to remember. Um, That's one of the things that people um, struggle with with uh, reporting for FMCSA is logging into their portal and remembering what their portal information is. And if they don't remember it, then recovering it and um, calling if they can't recover it. Those are all deterrents from keeping people from doing it. So 
which we discussed prior, um, could be potentially the angle that FMCSA wanted here. You know, if people aren't reporting, they could easily say, well, you know, not enough people reported. So you can't say that, you know, this was a, a reason to say that we need to add more flexibility because nobody used it, mm-hmm. you know. So I wanted to remove those barriers. That was another goal of this is removing those barriers. Um, so no login. You simply just go to fmcsareporting.com and click on the report now button. Uh, the report now button, I think, is three or oh, is located three or four different times on the homepage. Uh, then it will take you to a very simple form. The only thing you need is your DOT number, um, the uh, number of loads, and it doesn't have to be an exact number of loads. It's like 1 to 10, 11 to 20, 21 to 50, and then 50 plus or something like that. Like it's a range. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it doesn't have to be an exact number. Um, the commodity that you hauled if you were in an accident, um, and then the month that you're reporting for. Uh, so you could go all the way back as far as March 20, uh, March 2020, or 2020, yeah, March 2020. When the, when the declaration and, began, yeah. yeah. That's correct. Um, and you could do your reporting for every single month. You could bring yourself current. Um, it literally takes if you if you went in and did just one month, it would literally take you less than five minutes. It right. it may take you less than two minutes. It's very very fast. Um, additionally, a new um, a new thing that I added to the website just made it public today is all of the current documents that are surrounding um, this declaration are there on the website. So you don't have to go to FMCSA's website and try to find it. Um, So the actual emergency declaration is linked there on the current documents page. So the emergency declaration is there. The most recent version of the frequently asked questions document is there. That most recent one was published on February 11th, 2022. And- kind of brought, uh, didn't that bring a kind of auto- yeah auto haulers into the whole mix because there was there was there was basically had never been any clarification to that effect i think before correct yeah and um maybe putting fmcsa on blast a little bit which i'm not afraid to do um an email that i sent to fmcsa probing them for answers for some of the questions that are some of the biggest problems with the emergency declaration. I have linked that document. Much of the information in FMCSA's answers to Mark's questions that she notes there have to do with the reality that there is no real required documentation for drivers and motor carriers to have on board the truck to underpin use of the emergency declaration's hours waiver. Generally though, I'll say it confirms prior reporting we've done about just how roadside inspectors can choose to enforce the validity of the load to qualify for the declaration, including contacts with shippers and receivers to confirm need it now, direct relief or assistance qualities. In any case, find a link to the document she mentioned via the post that houses this podcast for March 3, 2022 at overdriveonline.com slash overdrive hyphen radio. 
The DOT signaled that they expected the CDL and medical certification waivers that have also existed since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic were likely to expire on a different deadline in April this year, tied as they are to the public health emergency declaration by the Health and Human Services Department issued a month and a half before the national emergency that affected all federal agencies. That could mean the HHS is planning to shift from public health emergency footing that month if things continue improving with COVID-19 transmission and hospitalization. I'm not sure what that could mean for all the ripple effects in transportation that the hours waiver is designed to help combat, but President Biden just this week signaled something of a transition to non-emergency footing himself, for what that's worth, in the State of the Union address. I asked Marks how she was thinking about the likelihood that we might see further extensions of the hours waiver beyond the end of May. So long as I firmly believe that so long as the administration continues to um, extend the national emergency, that that the declaration will continue to get extended. And that's purely political. I mean, do you feel like there's reason to sort of back away from that emergency footing? You know, as a consumer, um, as a citizen, I hope, because, you know, I would love to know what post-pandemic normal looks like. Right, right. Um, You know, but being able to get the things that I want and need is still a challenge. You see it all over the place, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Trucking business too, of course, parts and everything else. Oh, yeah. Can't get parts to save my life. But I also went to, uh, you know, the grocery store the other night, which I hate to do that, but I went the other evening and, you know, good luck. Good luck. Hmm. I mean, tr- go try to find blue Powerade somewhere. That has been increasingly difficult to find. But anyway, a- as someone in the trucking industry, well, it took uh, four months for our new hood to come in. That sucked. But at the same time, the flexibility in my husband being able to do his job has been wonderful. So the push-pull that I feel is very confusing. Um, Do I want the best of both worlds? Yes, which is exactly why I'm doing this. Right. That's the whole point. That's the entire purpose is to hopefully get either some more flexibility or, you know, do what we have to do to highlight the fact that, you know, we're taking steps in the right direction to touch the root cause of the safety issues in the industry rather than, you know, ticking things off, you know, the low hanging fruit, the, the itty bitty hours of service violations, either at roadside or, you know, from the investigative standpoint of a money generating exercise. This needs to be about safety. And if it's going to be, let's talk about safety. Let's not talk about revenue generation. Here's a big thanks to Andrea Marks for her time. Again, the website for the Trucker Nation data collection effort is fmcsareporting.com. 
And you can expect to hear more from Marks on a future podcast around the new training regulations now in play as of earlier this month. So stay tuned. Overdrive Radio is a production of Overdrive, the voice of the American trucker. It's edited and produced by me, Todd Dills, with acoustic guitar and other additional support from Overdrive Extra contributing writer and trucker songwriter, Long Haul Paul Marhofer. The podcast is backed up further by Overdrive News Editor Matt Cole, Social Media Coordinator Holly Young, and Executive Editor Alex Lockie. Till next time, keep it pro out there.